Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steinle, here for episode 36. This episode is a follow-up to our episode on credit card debt with Joe Longthorne. That was episode 33. Today, we don't discuss how to pay off the debt, but roadblocks and considerations of becoming debt-free. As always, thank you to my Patreon patrons who get the shows early and with the extended interviews, as well as discounts to our merch store. If you want to support our mission to educate artists about finance, do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance and welcome to our producer's circle. And if you aren't ready to join the fold, fear not. You can still help us out by subscribing to the podcast or tagging us on social media at Artistic Finance or at Ethan Steimel and by recommending guests for the podcast. We are always looking for artists that have financial stories to share, whether they be tales of caution or behavior we can emulate to improve our finances. The important thing is that we have the conversation and get it out in public, so that way we can all benefit from it. So, if you know an artist with a financial tale to tell, tag us on social media, slide into our DMs, or email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. Today's guest is Tony Johnson, a New York City-based costume designer, costume shop project manager, financial blogger, and LGBTQ activist. He has designed for the Oklahoma Shakespeare Festival, the Gulf Shore Playhouse, and the Gallery Players, and currently he works at Parson Mears, a premier Broadway costume shop. Tony also has a blog, The Adult Pokemon Trainer. It is his journey toward financial growth. I'll provide a link to that and everything we discuss in the show notes and on our website, artisticfinance.com. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Tony Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We are recording this on December 20th, 2020. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And then we're also amidst the Black Lives Matter reawakening. We are having this conversation today because we did an episode episode 33 about credit card debt and you sent me a message and you said you didn't talk about this 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 and it was like the longest message I've ever received in my entire life (laughs) I haven't compared the text but I think it's longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy Um, and then I thought oh man he's got a lot of opinions and thoughts and knowledge on credit card debt so we're here today to talk about credit cards to sort of add on and clarify stuff that we didn't cover in the previous episode okay so we'll get to that in a bit but Tony for our audience that doesn't know you could you give us sort of a recap of your life and how you got into your job and what you're doing now I started off in Montana I grew up in Montana And then I went to undergrad in Minnesota. Originally, I was going to go into school for animation, but I couldn't afford that school. So I went with my third best choice, which gave me the best deal. Um, And I graduated from there with an art studio art degree and a degree in theater. Then I went to grad school in Alabama at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. 
and I got my master's in costume design and production. And then I came up to New York City for a showcase where a bunch of young designers who are recently graduating from school show off their portfolios and things and meet people. And I met a bunch of people. And over the course of that three, five hours, I got encouraged to come to New York City. So I came to New York City. I met with a bunch of the people I met there, got hired at Parsons Mirrors, which is a costume shop for Broadway as an overhire shopper. I also worked at John Christensen's costume shop for the first month in New York City. I spent my first year in New York City bouncing around between shops and being an assistant for David Woolard. And then I got called back to Parsons Mirrors. I've been at Parsons Mirrors ever since. Two years ago, I got promoted to project manager. And that is all of that in a nutshell. Um, could you describe your demographics? I am cis, I am male, I use he, him pronouns, I'm bisexual, I identify as white, uh, I'm a Pokemon trainer, and an artist. Amazing. And I'm just going to press one further just because I happen to know this information, but you don't have to share, of course, your relationship status. Oh, I'm married. Cool. Okay, so now to get to know your creative personality, what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I'd say theater's pretty... I, I enjoy theater. I enjoy the story. I enjoy... I don't enjoy it when the theater comes out and talks to me and, like, touches me. I don't like that kind <laughs> of theater. So, like, dinner theater, not my favorite. Yes, you and me both. But theater where there's a stage, and they stay up there, and I stay here love that theater <laughs> okay what is a piece of art that you like oh i can't think of the name of it but duchamp he like took a toilet it's called fountain it's a toilet that he wrote his name on basically he was part of the dada movement the thing i really enjoy about like this piece of art it, it points out to me and what i then use it to point out to everybody is art is all around us like the bookshelf, the toilet, uh, the fire hydrants, it's all art. Engineers are artists. People don't always think about that. And I think that's also part why you're like, what's your favorite piece of art? And I'm looking around like my room and I'm like, there's art all around me. I, I... <laughs> okay. On those days that you wake up and you don't feel like going to work, what keeps you motivated to keep doing what you do? Uh, on the days that I don't want to go to work, knowing a paycheck is coming helps <laughs> but those days are so far and few like i really enjoy my job i really enjoy the work that we at, at parsons mirrors do it's very creative there are a lot of problems that need solving every day finding those solutions is part of the fun of all of it usually the only reason i don't want to go to work is because i don't want to get on the train and <laughs> ride for an hour hour and 15 minutes all right now to your financial personality are you good or bad with money? I am improving. <laughs> I, I'm no longer bad. Um, the funny thing is when I was bad, I thought I was still decent. Um, and there are days when I'm like, oh, I'm so good with money, but I'm improving. It, it's not a quick fix for me. And so I'm taking it a day at a time and COVID hasn't helped at all. <laughs> Are you a saver or a spender? For the most part, I'm a saver. Uh, when I was a shopper, retail therapy is a thing and it makes me feel good. 
And being a shopper takes care of that all day long. <laughs> and it's not my money. So I don't have to worry about it, but I still get the nice side effects. But since I've switched, I have to fight those urges to be a shopper and a spender. And I have a lot of like checks that I set up when I was getting all that spending out during the day at work that I've trained myself to now before I do go spend money. I have all these mental checks that are now habits that I go through before I spend that money. Yeah. Okay. Should we take a moment and say that you had slash have a financial blog? Yeah. Because I feel like that would inform people. Well, first of all, why we're talking, but also why you know so much about money. Can you just tell us about the blog? Yeah, I started a blog in 2016. I used one of my paychecks from one of my small theater gigs to get it all set up. The blog is a personal finance blog. I used the the viewpoint of a Pokemon trainer as a way for me to kind of try to reach out to people who weren't able to access the personal finance blog world. I had been reading personal finance blogs since 2013, and I was starting to get frustrated because everybody was giving advice for people who weren't like me. Like, I remember one of the big moments that I was like, okay, I can do this. It talked about setting aside 5% of each paycheck, and I tried that, and I couldn't do it. It's not that I couldn't do it because I was buying extra food, like at restaurants or anything. The math just didn't add up. So like I dropped it down to 2% and I was like, okay, I'm going to save my 2%. There was an article that really annoyed me. And it was about a guy who was talking about how he paid off his student loans in two years. And he had about the same amount of student loan debt that I had. And I was like, okay, let's see how he did this. And like his tips were, don't go out to the bars, you know, the latte effect, don't buy the lattes. Because he made those cuts in his life, he was able to pay his student loans off. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I There's no way I could do that just by cutting out those things. And at the end of the article, he talks about how he's a lawyer at a law firm and he's making three times as much as I am. Well, of course you could cut that out. If we had the same phone bill, if we had the same gas and electric bill and the same rent, you're going to be able to put more towards your student loans than I am because you're making more. And so I started the blog to share what I've been doing. And I try really hard to write it from not as like an advice blog, but as this is my experience. I want to share my experience in Pokemon. There is a system where you can, it's called experience share and it shares experience from in the battles with the other Pokemon. So everybody can level up kind of at the same time. And so that's kind of where that came from. And I will say, because I followed the blog, I know nothing about Pokemon other than it was an anime. But I followed it and I liked it because you talked about your personal experiences. Like it was a real, I spent $5 on pizza today and I spent $2 on coffee today and I walked instead of taking the train today. I am an artist living in New York City as an artist does. So that's what I liked about it. And I sort of understood the Pokemon references just because they make sense in context. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a person of the same thing, you know, freelancing, going gig to gig, that sort of thing. I found it helpful. Once again, yes, the advice out there 
like Money Magazine is something I talk about on this podcast sometimes. But Money Magazine is not tailored to artists or freelancers at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's also something we've run into on this podcast. There are people that have been financially successful and they're living one life. And then there's those that are living the more stereotypical artist life and are not able to be saving for a retirement. Or like you're saying, they can't save 20%. They can't save 15%. They can't save 10%. They can't save 5%. But yeah, maybe, maybe they listen to this podcast or maybe they found your blog and they say, okay, but I can at least save 1%. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's something I've run up against, which is people have to make more money to be financially okay. There's so many people like you know artists the catch-22 of new york city it's expensive to live here but if you live anywhere else you're not going to be making the kind of money you are here yeah and then also with the this year especially with everyone going remote it's like oh here's all this advice well guess what theater is not a remote job it's it's not there were two weeks when i was quarantining from the shop and trying to do my job from home and it's just it's just not practical because everybody's there in the same room and information moves so much quicker when it's all in the same room. And to get an update at the end of the day, you get what they are remembering to tell you. And they're forgetting all of the little things that had you just been there, you would know. So then when I come back, like a week after I'm back, I go, oh, what's this? And they're like, oh, we did this and this and this and this. And it's like, and nobody told me. And it's like, oh, no, sorry, we forgot. That happens all the time because you're not in the same room. Yeah. Okay. One, one more question about your financial life before we get to the credit card talk. At the start of your career, so I guess when you moved to New York City, uh, what was your financial picture like then? Like, did you come from a trust fund is what I'm really asking in this question. Oh, no, I did not come from a trust <laughs> fund. I came with over $100,000 in student loans. I was able to sell a car that I had purchased a year before. And so I was using that as kind of like my New York City cushion. But within the first six months of living here, I I was used to living in Alabama at that point. Cost of living is very different. By March, I had burnt through all that money from the car. I had just opened a new American Express card because I couldn't open it like two or three years earlier because some paperwork error. My advice that I was reading at the time said, wait a couple years and then reapply. And so I reapplied and they were like, if you spend $2,000, you get this many extra points. And I was like, well, I don't have a job right now and I'm not collecting unemployment and I'm running low on money. So I can do that. And so I did that. Then like, I remember there was a month, maybe April or May, where it came time to pay rent And I remember doing a cash advance from my credit card at my bank in order to pay for my rent. And I was like, and I have this paycheck coming, so I know that I'll be able to pay this off. But just having to do that made me go, okay, you have a problem. Let's take a look at this. So that's kind of where I was in my first year. (laughs) No, that's good. That's good. I mean, terrible, terrible, but good. (laughs) It's terrible, but it's good because it woke me up to what? my habits were and how they needed to change your habits needed to change and that's all true but also that something i found doing enough of these interviews is artists are not necessarily bad with finance like you could argue in that first year you were bad but the reality is not having money 
is not necessarily mean you're bad with money. <laughs> yeah, look at designers and how they'll manage a show budget. Designers can manage a show budget like nobody's business. They can come under, they can work magic. But then you look at our our personal lives and it's like, well, where where are those skills going? Like, why aren't we using those skills here? And we're like, we are. Okay, so now I have just pulled up the message that you sent me. I think all the points you brought up are really good because it's all situational to who you are. Yeah. Like Joe Longthorne was who we talked to about it. And he talked about like, well, here are the methods for paying off. You know, knowing how to pay it off is not necessarily going to help you pay it off. Mm -hmm. um, you still have to have the money to pay it off. So you say, I love talking about debt, don't we all? <laughs> I do. I love talking about debt and finances. Mostly because I have so much experience. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Experience that we unfortunately had to go through. Yep. But you say a big thing that we missed about credit cards is that the debt is revolving. The reason I wrote that is because I feel like people who have credit card debt understand how to pay off a credit card. You pay it off. That's it. You can pay it off with a snowball method. You can pay it off with an avalanche method. But the trouble and struggle I see with credit cards is it's revolving credit which means that it's designed to pay off and to also use at the same time. It's not the same as like student loans where I paid down the student loan and it's going to keep going down because I'm not going to use any more of it. There was a point where I was paying $300 on my credit card each month, but it was only going down like $50 because of how much credit I was also using that countered how much I was paying off. And so when you have this revolving credit, it takes longer to pay it off. The, the only way to pay it off steadily is to not use it. As somebody who uses credit cards, it's a tool in my financial toolbox. I, I use it more responsibly now, but earlier it was a struggle to battle that because I was using it so often. What I did to counter that for myself is I made a little sticker sheet and I told myself I get six swipes each month for each card. And that's where I started. It, it made me think about, okay, I only get six swipes. And I told myself, it doesn't matter how much you're putting on that card. So like the first days there were like days when I'd go and order like $300 worth of Amazon stuff because I only had one swipe. So I had to get it all on one on one swipe. So that way I'd just like keep adding stuff to the cart. Eventually the purchases started whittling themselves down and I was still only doing six. And so then when I spent it on like a McDonald's meal, that was a swipe. Instead of being $300, that was 20. Instead of going to McDonald's every day, I knew I had five more days that I could go to McDonald's to get that swipe. And so that slowly like weaned me off going to my credit card first and started me going to my debit card first, which I knew how much money was on my debit card. And that's how I did that for me. But everybody has to figure out what works for them and figure out why we're having trouble with that revolving credit and getting it paid down. It, it's unlearning those habits that got us in the debt to begin with. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. I've never heard of that because that there's the cash method where like you live your life with just X amount of cash per month. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, once that cash is used up, I can't spend any more for the month. Or if I do, I have to take it out of next month. Mm -hmm. So that I've never heard anybody just limiting the number of times they use their credit card. I think that's brilliant because 
without doing any like budget or anything like that, that's your limitation. And that's easy for me to understand. If you ask somebody how much credit card debt they have, which I have done because I like to ask questions like that. <laughs> um, but people have to think about it. And it's that same reason that you're saying is it's revolving debt. So you're always putting more on. So it's never as easy as here's my student loan. It's X amount and I have to pay it off. And I just know the interest rate. So I know that that will factor in. Like if you ask somebody how much credit card debt they're in, they're going to have to think about it because it's like, well, you know, when the statement came out a week ago, it was X, but I know that I've put X amount on it. So I don't have a solution for that other than that's another thing to think about when we say, oh, we have to pay off this credit card. Yes, but like Tony said, you have to stop using that credit card in order to be able to pay it off to zero. And that can be harder than it. It's harder than people want to think it is. Oh, it's it's super hard. Well, it's harder than people want to think it is, but that's when our analytical brain, you know, sits down and says, okay, how am I going to figure out my finances? The reality is we all know that or however our debt works in our life, but let's say a credit card, we all know that we're putting more on it and we know that we really have to plan out how to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate talking about credit card debt. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I know that it's a long message, so there's plenty uh, uh, more for us to talk about. I like this, like telling a smoker that in order to quit, they just need to stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, smokers know <laughs> that smoking is going to kill them. <laughs> I've talked to plenty of smokers and they know that. Somebody, somebody answered on the podcast once, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I want to make more money. Or it was like, what, what is your retirement plan? They're like, I'm going to make more money. Right. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, it's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> Just make more money. Because that's another hard truth that I feel like I've already mentioned today. But in order for artists to be financially successful, they have to make money. And that's very easy to say. And it's really a harsh reality that that is the truth. You will not become financially successful if you do not increase your income. Yeah saying that and balancing the life and figuring out the pathway for you, whatever your artistic career is, that's the complicated and tricky part. Yeah. And people don't want to pay artists. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it's so easy because it's so easy. I've had this conversation a billion times about negotiations and contracts. And people say, you have to ask for what you're worth. You have to demand what you are worth. You have to request what you want. And if you don't get it, you walk away. It's so easy to say that. But actually figuring out how do you get the job you want for a decent amount of money is much trickier. Like it's simple if you're a third party looking in, but when it's your life and livelihood and you're thinking about your career future, it's very difficult. So I'm saying that to let everyone know, don't feel bad when you're talking with somebody and they're like, oh, you should have asked for more money. And then you go in your head and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I should just ask for more money. It's not that simple. No. and being, <laughs> But it is that simple. And being artist, yeah, it is that simple. But I know for me, I, I'm willing to take like a pay cut to what I think I should be getting paid if it's a project I really want to work on because I really want to work on it and I don't want to miss out on working on that project, which is part of that trap. <laughs> and part of me being an artist wanting to create art and wanting to collaborate with people there's more to it like if i'm going to have a good time on it i'm probably willing to get paid a little less when i was a shopper and i didn't have to put so much energy into my day job i would do side gigs and i didn't mind designing for a small theater in brooklyn that was paying not great because i already had income bills were already being covered i could already do things so it was just extra money and i wanted to do it for the art 
and it doesn't teach anybody anything about people's worth and it just keeps the problem going on but i wanted to do those projects i will i will say i i'm terrible at negotiations never take advice from me i, I hate it i'm bad at it but there is one thing i instilled in my life which is i always ask for more mm -hmm. like that's just one rule even if it's like fifty dollars more even if it fits can you throw in a lunch like i just have a rule that no matter what i ask for something more sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work but even if it's a show that i know has a low budget and i know like okay it's only gonna pay a hundred bucks for a day or something i have the rule to say well, could it be 150 so anyway that's not really advice other than that's something that i've dealt with in my life to just never just go with what is presented. That's a good rule, because that's usually what I do is go with what's presented. I'm awful not a great negotiator, because sometimes I have an idea in my head of what it should be. Sometimes they'll say exactly that number in my head. My brain is like, perfect, you match. And so I go, so then the words fall out of my mouth instead of going, well, I was thinking before I know it, I've signed a contract and I'm like, oh, I probably should have negotiated for a little bit more. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> okay, another point you bring up here is about credit, uh, a credit score, which I want to say, this is a topic I'm glad you brought up because I avoid it because in my head, I think credit reports and credit scores are scams. To me, it doesn't matter because it's like, I know what I can afford and what I can't afford. So the credit score to me is like, I don't care if you tell me I have a really good score, I know that I can't go out and buy a McLaren car. I can't go spend a million dollars. And so, anyway, so in my personal life, I've sort of never worried about the credit score. I just think, okay, I pay off my credit cards and the score should be decent or average. So I myself, I'm never gonna worry about it. But can you talk about what you know about credit reports? Yeah, so I kind of also see them as a conspiracy of sorts. The way that they're used, by people who are using them and looking at them. If you sign up for a new apartment, they go check out your credit score. The people who are looking at your credit scores, they are trying to figure out how you handle credit, how you deal with financial burdens just and finances, which is also part of why they look at your bank statements and stuff. But all they see when they look at your bank statements is numbers that tell them nothing. Where a credit score the way it's designed is to tell them this person has credit, they've managed it well, they're either a good candidate or a not great candidate for your apartment. The landlord just wants to know that you're going to be paying your rent. And if they see on your credit score that you pay your bills every month, then they're going to go, okay, this is somebody reliable. And then if it has a lower credit score, they go, oh, the chances of me getting my rent payments is going to be a little off they have to weigh those risks for themselves to let you rent it because what they're doing is also risky. The thing with credit cards and credit scores is credit cards are the easiest way to get credit. I know some people who they're my age, they didn't get a credit card. They were like, I've heard credit cards are trouble and I'm just not gonna get them. They got to the point in their life where they were ready to buy a house and they went to go get a loan and the bank was like, I'm sorry, you don't have any credit history. So we don't know what your risk is like. And they were like, well, I don't have any credit. Isn't that a good indication of how, how well I handle my finances? And they were like, well, we'll have to 
talk about it with the higher ups and they have to figure out and weigh the risk of establishing that because they don't have that number that tells them that story. And part of credit cards being part of that score, it, it gets into this feedback loop that can be, I don't want to say dangerous, but it can be frustrating that you get stuck in this feedback loop. If I have two cards, let's say both limit is $10,000 each. My credit report says I have a credit card limit of $20,000. Let's say I have 5,000 of debt on each card. So total, I have 10,000. So I'm at 50%. But then I decide I'm going to pay off one of my credit cards. I, I don't use the revolving credit. I just pay off one of those cards. And then I close the card. By closing the card, I have reduced my limit of debt from 20,000 to 10,000. I still have that 5,000. And so my credit score still thinks that I have 50% of my credit being used. Where if I bring that card that I paid down to zero and I keep it and I don't get rid of it, then it says I have 25% of my max limit and that, that I'm probably managing my spending and my credit very successfully. But then the trouble with that is then you still have this second card that's just sitting there burning a hole in my pocket saying, use me, I have no money. And I, when I get to that point, because I think I'm going to get to that point in the next couple of years, by the time I get to that point, I have to have learned good enough habits to be like you and to be able to continue to pay that card off at the end of every month. I mean, in some of the past podcasts, you said that sometimes you miss a month, but if you're paying it off every month, you don't end up with $3,000 sitting there gaining interest that month. So you're saying having the credit cards is important because we need that to sort of function and make our lives easier. Like that's the easiest way to have credit and having good credit is something we need. It's another factor that goes into deciding whether or not we're getting rid of a card and paying off a card and how we pay off the card. And it's something that if you just talk about the snowball effect and that, like the snowball and the avalanche, that doesn't take this other part into consideration because sometimes if you have a lot of credit card debt, like I may have had and still do, uh, but I'm, your credit score is an important thing to pay attention to you want to make sure that that number is telling other people the story you want it to be telling. Like, cause there are a lot of financial bloggers who are like, great. And you've paid off your, your credit card and then you can cancel it. But if, if you do that, you have to, they, they don't tell you that that is a side effect of canceling that card. And then on the flip side, you, you can't use that as an excuse to open a new credit card either. Every like six months, I go on NerdWallet and I look at new credit cards and I go, hmm, you know, I could really use this to help me with my credit. And then I go, but have I learned how to use credit cards responsibly yet? And I go, kind of. And kind of is not a good answer to get a new credit card. So then I exit out of the window and I wait another six months. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So... Also a point that I think I'm taking out of there that you made, paying off a card to zero, don't necessarily cancel it because then you're lowering your credit score. So pay off the card and just hide it in a box somewhere or have it in a secret compartment of your wallet or purse 
you can access it in an emergency, but otherwise aren't going to use. Yeah, it's partially what credit card companies and the credit score company conspiracy in my head wants you to do. They want you to do that because they want part of the conspiracy that's in my head is credit card companies and credit score people just want everybody to stay poor. They, they want to be the rich one. Well, I want to bring up this point because you also said in your message that credit cards in the company, the credit card companies imply to you that you don't want a card sitting there not being used every month. Right. Me knowing nothing, I know that that's bad for your credit score to have a credit card that's not being used every month. That's what I know. Is that true, Tony? Here, here's what I'll say. My American Express card that I was so excited about using and getting, it jumped the interest rate to 20%. And the second I saw that, I gave them a call. I said, what's this about? And they said, well, this and this and this and this. And I said, fine, I'm not going to use it. So I basically have it locked away in a box and I only use it for the few times I go traveling because they have a payment program for large amounts. And so I can use their system to help pay those larger amounts down and get it on a separate interest rate. But I have not noticed any problems by not using that card monthly. There may be something out there, but I think as long as it's used periodically, because if you don't use it over the course of a year, they assume that the card has been lost or there's something fraudulent or they, they need to start looking into it. I think if you use it periodically and be responsible with it, that's the trouble. And I would rather it be locked in a box and just not used and have them call me up saying, hey, nobody's used this card for a while. What's that about? Then the likelihood of me going on a shopping spree, putting money on it that I don't want to be putting on it. And I, and I want to say that in my own life, me running away from credit reports and credit scores and not caring, thinking I just I'll pay off my bill and it'll be fine. I know that you're not supposed to have cards that you're not using. I also know, like what you were saying earlier, you don't want to cancel the card because then your credit report or your credit score drops. And so I actually, in the course of my life, like when I was in college, I got a credit card, my first credit card. I still have it, but I got, they sent me a new card. And then later on, we got a third card. And then I think I have four cards total, but I only use one and then what I call a backup. So I only use two, but I have four only because I'm afraid of dropping my credit score if I cancel those two cards, even though I don't use them. And they're actually with the same company. I don't know how this works. I have more than one credit card with, I think it's Visa. So I have like three Visas and then we have a Discover. And so I have two Visa cards that I don't use, but I'm afraid of dropping my credit score. So I just keep them forever, I guess. Are those Visa cards, if you don't mind me asking, are the Visa cards through different banks? Are they through different uh, rewards programs? So two are through the same bank. Mm -hmm. I, okay, and here's another thing about me, rewards programs, I find them scams. And therefore I accept the points they give me and I, every yeah. once in a while I will cash them out, mm -hmm. but I never use them for travel. I've, I've tried in the past, but I run into so many problems. I'm not good with technology and it just angers me because it's like you're making me pay for a more expensive flight so that I can use the points. Whereas if I don't use the points, I'll just go buy a cheaper flight. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so all I ever do with the points is I never worry about them. And if every once in a while I might, cash them out yeah <laughs> so they're probably different reward systems i don't know but two of those cards are through the same bank one is through a different bank that i don't even have an account at i just have the credit card there and i'll just tell you the names of my bank i don't i don't know that this matters so two of the visa cards are through u.s bank 
which is the bank account I had since college. Then one is through Chase Bank, which I don't have an account with Chase Banking. I just have the credit card. Mm -hmm. And then the other is a Discover that I married into through Nicole. She added me onto her account. So I have no idea where that card is linked to. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah. And since we're sharing, I have two credit cards. I have a Visa through Wells Fargo and I have an American Express that I get a companion ticket to fly every year. And like the fee for that card is $200. And when it costs $600 to fly to Montana to visit home, having a companion ticket that is basically free plus taxes with that $200 fee, it's basically a $200 ticket for the two of us to go to Montana. And so that to me outweighs this ridiculous amount of, um, but that's the only reward I have on that. And the other one, the visa, about every three years, I get to cash in $100 worth that then pays, then I apply to my credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> a vicious cycle. <laughs> the, the rewards <laughs> programs really don't make a difference to me either. Okay, actually, since we're talking about rewards programs, which I don't care about, so two two visas and the Discover are, have no no fee. They're no fee because once again, I think credit cards are sort of a scam and I'm like, I'm not going to pay a fee to use a credit card. That's ridiculous. You're already, every company in the world is already charging more than they need to just to account for the cash back that in theory I'm going to get or the points I'm going to get, which just angers me. It's I'm just an angry human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but one of our visa cards we did get it's a $90 fee every year. Um, and the reason is it gives you two points. So it's like one point for everything and then two points for travel. And Nicole and I really like to travel. So we're like, okay, so for taxis and whatever, and all travel airplane, we'll get two points. So that's why we got that card thinking, okay, I guess the amount of points we'll get, we'll pay that $90. But then the other key thing with this card is that it pays for global entry, global entry when you travel. And, and that's a fee, I can't remember, but it's more than $90. But you, you, I think you get that every three or five years, but they will pay for that global entry fee. So that's why we have that reward card or why we pay the $90 every year. Yeah, and it, that's one of the things about credit cards. They have benefits to them and they're, and they're tools. They're tools, period. For those rewards, like you have a card that you pay a fee on. I have a card that I pay a fee on. For us, it's worth it to pay that fee in order to get that benefit. And it's something that when looking at new credit cards, it's a good thing to look at. I know my visa, it covers phone insurance. Like I could use that for my phone insurance. So I got off my phone insurance plan because just by using that card to pay for it, my bill gave me phone insurance through the credit card. And I think most credit card that people already have, have weird little things like that, that are not told to us but they have them there it's worth the phone call to find out what kind of perks are happening and i've done that a couple of times where i call visa up and i say so tell me about the perks or can you send me a pamphlet about what the perks are for this card and then i get it and then i go oh and that's how i learned about the insurance for my phone cool since i'm already i've had this card since 90 no not the 90s like 2005 i might as well put it to good use you had brought up the point that in our previous credit card discussion we did address the importance that you have to pay off your credit card duh <laughs> thanks captain obviouses <laughs> um we we had touched on putting all like if you're if you have six credit cards 
and you're struggling, you, like they all have different interest rate, you're not sure which one you need to pay off. We had talked about putting it all, either putting it all into like a line of credit, and so you just have one thing to pay off, or transferring it all to one card that maybe has 0% interest for a year. But you said we didn't talk about the fact that if you do transfer it all to a 0% interest or a lower interest rate, you have to focus and try to pay it off during that 0% interest period. Yeah, it's 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 one of those credit card companies they're very clever that's one of the thing ways that they get you you know like there's cards there's cards out there that offer zero percent interest for 24 months which is two years and that's amazing because there are two groups of people i feel like who use these kind of card systems there's the people who are credit card juggle masters they know all the rewards of every credit card and they know how to juggle and go, I'm going to transfer all of my credit from this card to this other card for the 0% interest and for all the rewards for signing up and transferring that credit to this card. And then I'm going to pay it off in that window, reap all the rewards, then I'm going to juggle to another credit card. Like those people, they can pay for trips. Mostly I hear about trips like international travel and things like that from this like juggling and it's very impressive, but I am not good at that. And then there's the other group of people who usually get into these situations. We transfer all of the credit from one credit card to this new 0% interest rate, but then we fall into the credit card trap that they want us to fall into and go, you know, like a month down the way, oh, you know, like this new PlayStation came out. I've been thinking about it for a while. You know, I have this card that has 0% interest right now. Why would I not just put it on there? I'll, I'll pay it off. I've got, if it was a 24-month thing, I've got 22 months left to pay it off. Slowly, that revolving credit, you start using that card more often. And then all of a sudden, you've paid down the initial balance, yes. But now you have this other credit card that now has a balance that's higher than you wanted it to be. And you still have that other credit card, chances are that you just moved the debt from one card to a new card. And so you still have that other card that hopefully it's locked away in a box, but sometimes it's not. And if we don't have those habits fixed, I don't think transferring it to anywhere else is going to be helpful. Same thing with getting a new, like a line of credit or getting a loan to pay off like the debit, like the credit card. I, I've i looked into it a couple of times. And the reason I don't take out a loan for it is because I'm going to keep using that credit card. If I see that the balance is zero right now in the mental state that I'm at and the, the improvement journey that I'm on, I'm not there yet where I'll see that zero and I'll make sure that it gets paid off at the end of the month. I'm going to see that line of credit and how much they're still there. And I'm still going to be responding with, oh, look at all this money I can spend. And then I'm going to have my second voice say, that's not real money. Don't use it. Until I have that, just that one voice that says, don't use it. (laughs) Instead of the one that's like, look, you could just go do whatever. I I don't feel comfortable doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people are really good about those rewards and some people really will go and investigate cards based off of their rewards. The people who tend to do that are people who have a good idea 
of what they could actually yield from those rewards. I look at these rewards and I do the math and I go, oh, so for every dollar I spend, I'm getting like a hundredth of a penny, really. Great, that makes no difference to me. But some people can go and go, okay, if it's double back on groceries, I spend about this much on groceries a week or a month, it'll eventually yield me this. And I'm actually coming out ahead in this way. And I can use this for those plane trips. I can use this to get uh, Christmas presents or something. Those people are amazing to me because I, I, I don't have the patience. <laughs> okay, but I also want to speak to the people like me out there. If you're like me, you have all these people you read online, your friends say this, your guest Joe Longthorne says this, they say things like, I pay for all my vacations with my credit card points. Okay, and then you hear that and you feel bad about yourself or dumb because you're like, well, I would have to spend 10 years of my credit card in order to get a vacation. And you have no idea how these people are doing it. Well, people like me don't feel bad. I think all those other people are lying. <laughs> it's like the lawyer guy who paid his student loans off in two years. Some of these people, the reason they can do it is because they have points because they have to fly for work. They spend money on a work card. Our shop card has points associated with it, but we don't get those points. The boss gets those points. Having a work card that gets you points, that's great because typically when your business, your business has that kind of income coming in and out and it's worth those points. But when you have a hundredth of a penny for each dollar, if you're making $100,000, you're getting $1,000. It, it can work that way. But for people like me and probably you from the sounds of it, we're not using that card enough to get those points. Well, and, and even that credit card that gives us two points on travel, we've had that credit card for like four years now. And I tried to use the points one at once. I'm not good with technology. But like even the points we have could only pay for like half of a vacation. So I, I think people like me, you're not alone. All those other people are lying or they have really specific situations that apply to only like 5% of people in the world. Agreed. <laughs> yes. So, oh, that's one of my pet peeves. And now now that I have Joe Longthorne, he said that. He's like, oh yeah, all my vacations are on credit card points. And I didn't push him on it, but I should have said, really, Joe, please tell me exactly because I think you're lying. <laughs> yeah, please, please share with me the math. On how that works. Yeah, and I, like, are you taking a vacation once every seven years? Because that's that's not what we're hearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so now that I and sort of you have established that credit card report systems are bogus, scams, everything like that, um, I actually really like your idea of calling the credit card company and just seeing what the perks are and talking if there's anything good going on. And I think I want to incorporate that into my life at least once a year, but I think once a quarter would be really good. Not because I care about those points, but it will put it on my mind. You know, maybe I'll switch paying a, a bill with this card to that card. Um, and the other thing, like my rule in when I'm taking a job is I always ask for more. 
not not because like I'm a good negotiator or not because whatever. I just know like I just made that rule for myself to live by. And so I think I, I think I might incorporate. Oh, another thing about me is I hate talking to people. You wouldn't know it because I have a podcast and I seem to enjoy myself, but I really don't like talking to strangers, let's say. So the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody on the phone. But I think I might incorporate that rule into my life just to see where it goes. Yeah. That's a trick I picked up from J Money from Budgets Are Sexy. What he recommends is if you're going to do it quarterly, maybe you don't call your credit card every quarter, but one quarter you call your credit cards. Next quarter you call your utilities and your like phone and your internet people. And you say, hey, what kind of deals are happening? Each quarter you call a different chunk of your life to see if there are any deals that can lower things or can increase your interest rate at the bank. One of the reasons I switched my savings account to a completely different bank than Wells Fargo was because I went in and I asked for any kind of increase besides 0.01% interest. And they came back and they said, no, we can't do that. And I said, well, I've been with you for almost 20 years. Really, there's nothing you can do. And they went back and they chatted for like, 10 minutes and they came back and they said no. And I said, fine, I'm going to take my money somewhere else. And I brought it to Ally Online Bank. And at that time, I got 2%, which is like 200 times more interest than I was getting at Wells Fargo. And, and I would like to say, everybody knows this, but I'm going to hammer it home. A bank does not care about you. They do not. You have to take ownership to go get the best interest rate because they literally will let you go. You can be with a bank for 20 years and they do not care if they lose your account. Now, here's the deal. If you have a lot and a lot of money, they care about you. But I'm assuming that everybody listening to this is not those people. (laughs) Yeah, the whole system is ranked like that. Like banks only care about people who make tons of money. That's why you have like all these like overdraft fees and stupid stuff like that. The people who are overdrafting are the ones who probably should have some help. They're the ones who thought that they had those that $20 and they only had 15 and all they're doing is buying their groceries for the week. And now all of a sudden they've overdrafted. So not only do they owe whatever the overbalance was, but they owe like a 25 to $50 fee because they overdrafted. And then if they don't get the message, which most messages don't come until days after it's overdraft because of priorities and the computers at banks, which is a whole nother topic. And and sometimes like because of those priorities, you can have a check that's deposited. And so you spend that money that day because of how the computers go through the processing of your account. They will go through all of your expenditures before adding that paycheck. And so you've overdrafted and then they add your paycheck. And then, so then they take that 25 to $50 fee out of your paycheck. And now you're $50, 25 to $50 less. And you have this like flag on your account that you overdrafted. There are banks out there that do care. Tony is lying. Tony is lying. There is no bank out there that cares. They have better systems. I'll put it that way then. They have okay. better systems for overdrive. Like I had an issue with a check that got stolen a couple of years ago, and I ended up splitting my checking account into three different banks. And one of the banks I use primarily for groceries, and they have an overdraft system that I have on that account that if the money's not there, they don't charge the card and they reject it. All banks should do that. They should. Okay, that was a good that was a good rant, Tony. I appreciate yeah. that. I had a rant. Oh, 
I'm not going to go on this rant, but I will do, I will say, lest, lest I have given the impression in these past 36 episodes or what, if I have accidentally given the impression that I am good with money, <laughs> let me solidify again that I am not. And I will say, this happens to me once a year, at least. I overdraft a checking account or a savings account or something me too i have the money somewhere in one of the accounts in a bank somewhere i have the money i just happen to pull too much money out of one account or i write a check oh i have a crazy story about writing a, a bouncing a thirty-eight thousand dollar check that's a crazy story for another time <laughs> but once a year it happens and it makes me so mad because i get like a 25 dollar fee for pulling the money out then the bank tries to help me and correct it by pulling from some random credit line, which is great, except that they charge me the $25 fee, and then they charge me a $25 fee for using that credit line. So then I get charged $50, and then if I'm unlucky, which I always am, it's like the other bank will also charge me $25. So I, this happens to me once a year, even though I really do pay attention to my finances. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you call them? No. See, I don't like talking to people. This is another bad thing. Yeah. Because when it happens to me that once every year, and I also have a spreadsheet on my computer of every time I call my bank and why I'm calling them so that way I can see my habits and see what they're doing to me. As soon as I get that notification, I call them and I tell them, nope, there is no reason this should have happened. I, this never happens to me, even though I'm looking at a spreadsheet <laughs> saying that happens once a year. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way I checked it yesterday. Everything was in line. And 90% of the time, they fix it for me. And I don't owe the fee. I don't owe, because usually I transfer the money over. We work it out and it's solved. But it takes, it takes that thing that they're counting on us not wanting to do. And that's calling and talking to them. Yep. And I will say, I know this is a fact in real life. Me not liking to talk to people hurts us a lot. Because I see other people call and do things like you do. And it helps them. And I just, I have to get over that. It's hard. So it's, it's hard. <laughs> so everybody listening to this, send me a message once in a while or tag me and just say, Ethan, have you made a call and actually talked to a human being today? <laughs> Specifically a human being at a bank or a credit card company. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Uh, okay, Tony, I have a new question that I've never asked anybody else. All right. So new to you. Have you been to patreon.com slash artistic finance? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you really should go check it out because it's where I put all the outtakes to the episodes. I'm going right now. Oh, perfect. You can get access to those outtakes for as little as $3 a month. But, you know, you can also pay $200 a month to get those outtakes. And that would also be worth your time and your money and your value, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've got a you've got a whole bunch of different levels here. Oh, and there's even more. Everybody should go check it out for themselves. Okay, that was a fake question. But here's the deal, Tony. I told Nicole I would finish at 4.30. So okay. as I suspected, you and I could talk about this forever. It's true. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to do another episode. Okay. I appreciate you reaching out about the credit card because, yes, th these conversations are so nuanced and so specific to people. There's a lot of ins and outs that we need to talk about. So I appreciate you and I talking more about it. And you and I, there's still even more that we could go into about this. Oh, there's so much more. And I love I love talking about all of it. Before I let you go, Tony, I just want to ask a couple more questions to sort of wrap it up. Where can people find out more about you? Well, they can find out more 
about my design work at tojodesigns.com. Uh, they can find uh, my blog at grownuppokemontrainer.com. I will provide a link to that <laughs> in the show notes and on our website. Yeah. I'm on Twitter because that's where more of my bisexual activism. I think it's at Zuni. Okay, Tojo. actually, one more question that I want to ask you before I let you go. What can you and I do to stress the importance about finance and savings to our fellow artists? Artists know the importance of finances. The struggle is is being overwhelmed by all of it. Pick just one small thing. I mean, right now, listening to this podcast is a great start. It's a good start for like first quarter of the year, second quarter of the year, whenever you're listening to this podcast. But then for the next quarter, have like another very small goal. And maybe you'll hear something by listening to this podcast that you'll go, oh, that's my thing to try. When I saw that my financial life was a mess and it hit me, the first thing I did was I started a budget. And that was in 2013. In 2015, I started tracking my net worth. Little small steps that then build up. We hear every day we need to save for retirement. We have to invest. We have to, all these have tos. You don't have to do all of those right now if you can't and you can't process it. Do just one small thing that gets you on that path to set some goals. And when that date comes up, reevaluate. Sometimes we get to those dates and we haven't made the goal, but that doesn't mean we haven't made progress. And we just have to stop, look around, regroup and make new goals. Amazing. I love it. Okay. So Tony, thank you so much for talking about this and giving us your time today. Thank you, Ethan. That was our interview with Tony Johnson. My takeaways were, you have to figure out how to stop accumulating debt in order to pay off your debt. Everyone knows how to pay it off, but the challenge is taking action on the changes that have to be made in order to stop taking on more debt. Try limiting the amount of financial transactions you make in one month. This exercise is a way, without creating a complicated budget, of bringing you awareness to where your money is going. Don't despair. I absolutely love that Tony brought this up. Getting your finances in shape is a big undertaking. Don't avoid it because it's too big of a task to handle. Break it down and just focus on one piece at a time. If you can focus on one thing each month, at the end of a year, you'll have taken 12 steps. And if one month is a dud, you still have 11 months of progress. I personally get overwhelmed when I try to get my life and finances in order. And if you're like me, take this advice and just pick that one thing to get right. Maybe it's closing a credit card. Maybe it's calling the phone company to see if they can lower your bill. Maybe it's closing an old checking account that is giving you an $8 fee every month. Whatever that domino in front of you is, focus on it. And when you knock it over or accomplish that task, that momentum can help you knock over the next domino. Thank you to Tony for having an honest conversation. Find our extended interview over at Patreon. Please support me and this show for a mere $3 a month. Do that at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And if that $3 a month is better spent going toward your emergency fund or into your Roth IRA or paying off a bill, absolutely do that first because that is what this show is all about. 
reminding us to focus on our finances. We're the ones, you and I, that have to take ownership of our lives. If you liked this episode, or if we missed anything, please give us a shout out on Instagram at Artistic Finance or on Twitter at Ethan Stimel. I will link to Tony's social handles in the show notes because they're too complicated for me to say out loud. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Ann Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.